receive my words as that which judges him the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day those were Jesus's words correct and if if we have a theme that is script that is a particular scripture I think Mike I think that's it yes and that's kind of at odds with the tenor of our generation or age maybe it's always been at odds with the tenor of the world but it's at odds because it talks about the words of Jesus Christ being a standard it talks about judgment that's coming it talks about personal accountability and responsibility for your actions. Uh, and all of those things kind of go against the grain of a lot of what you hear today and what people think. And so we're trying to call people back to that. And we believe that in spite of whatever difficulties we might have as human beings living up to those ideals, that that's still the ideal to strive for. It's still the best way to, do, to build a society and our individual lives. And so, yes, we're going to have uh, problems with every anything that people do. I can take an ideal system in the New Testament, and when I try to live it out, it's going to have flaws because of my flaws and weaknesses or deficiencies. That doesn't mean the system is flawed. Some ideas are bad because they're bad ideas. Uh, uh, you, you know this saying you hear, well, it's good in theory but not good in practice. Well, if it's not good in practice, if it doesn't really work, it's not really a very good theory, is it? No. No. So that's kind of another one of these sayings we have. So, yeah, communism, totalitarian, atheistic communism, oh, that's a good idea in theory. No, it's not even a good idea in theory. Because it doesn't work. Because it doesn't work in real life. It's because it's opposed to human nature. It, it tries to ignore the facts of human nature. And so much of what we're seeing in our society today ignores human nature, to, and to that degree, it will fail. It is not a good idea, nor is it good in practice. Well, that human nature, I think, Mike, goes back to something God gave us. He gave us free will. He created man, he created man in a certain way, in his own image. We have certain, there are certain hardwired things built into humans, and then he told us how to live. That's right. And so and that free will. Uh, we, have, we have will to choose. Part of our nature is we can choose, right? Exactly. Within limits, we have choices, and God holds us accountable to those choices. That's why the verse you read that says that you have to respond to my words in a certain way, or else there's going to be judgment. There's going to be judgment. Then the that's, count, that's free will words. working there. The standard well, let me, will be those words. I never even gave the numbers, Gary. We already got off onto something here. Let me give the numbers so the listeners can call into the show. 772-340-1590. 772 Three four zero one five nine zero is the number here in Port St. Lucie. You can reach us. You can call us. In fact, you can call us anywhere in the country if you want to at that number. Uh, and you can reach us by text today during the show or during the week at 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120. That's my number, Mike's. Or you can reach Gary at 772-260. Two six zero six two two zero, and you can call us from anywhere in the world. But you can also listen from anywhere in the world on the World Wide Web. Yes, uh, WPSL's website will stream this show, and I've listened to it on uh, the streaming. So 
Yes, it works. It and so works. if you don't care where you're listening, where you're living now, or if you got friends you want to listen to the show, just tell them to tell them to sign in and I mean on to WPSL.com, click the listen live button, and they'll be able to to interact with the show live and so forth. All right. Well, I think we have a call already, Gary. Okay. Uh, are you there, Ken? Yeah, Mike. How you doing? Good. Speak up real loud. I'm ha- I'm going to have to turn up your mic. Go ahead. Okay. Is that better? I think so. Yes. Okay, I got something for you today. You guess your what? I have something for you today. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I got uh, four or five scriptures. I'll go through one at a time. You're going to make me get out a pen, aren't you, Ken? Hang on a minute here. (laughs) I'll get my paper out here. I should have something already, but I didn't have something just sitting there. Go ahead. Okay, first one is First Corinthians 1, verses 22 to 25. Okay. Okay, so let me read that for you. Uh, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and weakness of God is stronger than man. Okay. Um, uh, that was my next week's lesson. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well. Okay. Uh, so the key thing here is uh, verse 22. The Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Right. Okay. All right, the next verse, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Okay. You going to read it on me too? Yeah, I'll read it. Okay. For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews... Got a feedback problem here. Let me turn this down. Okay. Maybe... uh... Are you still there, Ken? Yeah, okay. Okay, I'm going to turn you back up again then. Okay. Ready? Yep, go ahead. Okay, and unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might... And unto them that are also without the law, as without the law. But unto the law, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak, if there is a key key part, to the weak, if they are weak, that I might gain the weak. I I am made all things to all men, that I might gain by all means save some. Okay. Now, I'm going to... Compare these two scriptures and then go to the next one. So, uh, the Jews seek a sign 
and the group seek wisdom. Okay, so let's go to uh, John 21, verse 11. Okay. Okay. So Simon Peter went up, and do the net land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Okay, now these may seem unrelated verses. And we talked about this verse with the hundred and fifty three before. But I got some new information on it for you. This verse is a two, what I call a two for one. Two for one. Two for one. It illustrates the miracle or the sign the Jews are looking for. And it illustrates the wisdom. And I'll tell you why that's so. Because of the number 153. Yeah, I think I've heard that there's some kind of, there's a symbolic, uh, that the, a number, uh, that was a symbolic number that the Jews would understand. Or should have understood. Is that correct? Yeah, but, yeah I'm talking about the Greeks. There's a reason the Greeks understand this. Oh, the Greeks would understand that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so it covers both, both verses. It covers what the Jews are looking for. It covers the rooms and the groups are looking for. Okay? Alright, that this, sign this, covers both of them? Yeah. Well, what do you think the significance of the 153 fish is? Uh, or are you getting to that? I'm getting to that. Okay. Some of those Something we already covered, but uh, I want to talk about a little bit something new, and then I'll talk. I will, I'll talk about that. Soon. Okay, so uh, the Greeks, and uh, if you go back to Archimedes, third century BC, Archimedes came up with an approximation of the number pi. And back then in the Greeks, if there was a very exclusive club, the, the wise Greeks, you were, if you were a wise Greek, you were a member of this club. And it had to do with geometry. And you could, they wouldn't let you in. They had a sign on the door. You couldn't come in unless you knew geometry. Okay? So, wisdom to the Greeks was something entirely different than wisdom to the Hebrews, from my understanding. Yeah. The way they defined that word in practical terms was very different. Yeah, and it had a lot to do with philosophy. Right. Just like wisdom to a Christian is very different than the wisdom that the man without Christ in the world is going to have, or can define that word that yeah. way. And we can talk about this as far as today goes in the quote wisdom of today. Um, okay, so this number is 265 over 153. 
and asked, and asked for a fractionation for the number pi that Archimedes came up with. Okay. Which is very famous in mathematics. Okay, and this is related to the, the fish diagram that represents Christianity. You're familiar with the fish? Yes, ichthus. Yeah, the symbol of Christianity with the fish? Yes, I am. The okay, fish, so what, yeah, go what, ahead. This number, the length of the fish is 265. The height of the fish is 153. And that's what this ratio is, which, which is very close to the number pi. Whoa, 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 go back. What fish? The fish, the symbol of Christianity. You mean uh, if it's drawn a certain way, it would be that way? No, no, no. The way you draw it, if you measure the tip of the fish to the tip of the tail, is 265. And if you measure the height of the fish, it's 153. Seems to me that be the whoever draws it would determine those ratios, but I, I guess I'm... Oh, the, the, other, the other problem I've got uh, is that ratio is on 1.7, so that's not even close to pi. Well, uh, that's Archimedes, huh? Yeah, but I mean, it's not even close. It's half. <laughs> Well, so so what so what's the gist of this, Ken? As far as you're saying that when the Bible mentions the 153 fish in the Book of John, that a Greek would recognize this number. Yes, and this is the Bible. Archimedes had 11 equations and came up with this ratio of the pi. Yeah, but the top number you said was 255 or 265. 265. 265? Yeah. 265. 265. 265. That didn't work. 265 divided by 153 is 1.7. That's half of pi. Oh, okay, okay. I got that number. But it's not even accurate to half a pi, but it's, 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 it's not even close. It's about a half. Well, look, look yeah, the, the question is, is, is this, Number of fi- and now, now I will agree that there is a reason why there were 153 fish in the net. It could be that that's just by chance what was caught, and so it really didn't make any difference. Or that the reason that John mentions the number of fish in the net is because there's some symbolic significance to it, right? It's either one of two things. It either lends accuracy to the account because it's it has detail or it has some symbolic meaning i think that's what so, you're saying so so well here's a somebody just texted me john a diagram of the pythagoreans euclid archimedes measure of the fish and when you take two circles and put them together in a certain way you get the width and the height and there's an equation yeah I'll text it to you. I don't think it's meant to be an approximation of pi per se, so square root of three, and all this kind of thing. So, um, yeah, there there is an apparently. Now, this is the first time I've ever heard of this. There's apparently a known uh, mathematical thing going on here, but I did not know that before. Well, 
Let me let me get away. Is that what you're referring to, Ken? Let me get away from the nationalized favor button. Just make my point. Okay. All right. Archimedes had 11 equations, and out of the 11, the number 153 would be nine of them. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. So, my point is, this number is very familiar with the Greeks. That's why they would recognize that number. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Exactly. It was an arbitrary number. We wouldn't, we wouldn't pay any attention to it as far as having any significance as far as the number itself is concerned. But they would. They would have known it. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't yeah. ring a bell at all with me. That's why I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the connection of that number to a Greek equation. Uh, that's the, and especially the, the connection to the symbol ichthus, uh, and so forth. I've heard a lot of explanations of all of that, but I've never really, I mean, I, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm only saying that's probably my ignorance. Of, of that whole thing, but I've heard it explained more like this, Ken, that ichthus is the word, Greek word for fish, and it's the first letters of this phrase, Jesus Christ, God's Son. When you take the first letters of that phrase in Greek, it spells out as an acronym, ichthus, or fish, and so the idea was it kind of became a secret symbol that someone on the ground with a stick when they met someone, might draw half a circle, and then the other person, if they were a Christian, might draw the other half of that fish, as it were, maybe using Archimedes' equation or whatever, and then they would know that they, they too were Christians because they both were in on the symbol of ichthus, Jesus Christ, God's Son. And um, I, that's how I've heard it explained. I'm not familiar with this equation. But you're saying that this was given as a sign to the Greeks. Yeah. It's, and here's the, here's the, here's the, uh, just yeah, a God's wisdom is out, outshining God's, man's wisdom. And that brings me to my next verse. Proverbs 3, 13. And eighteen. Okay, let me look that up. Proverbs, what was that? Proverbs, Proverbs 3. three, thirteen through eighteen. No, not through eighteen, just verse thirteen three, and eighteen. Thirteen and eighteen, right? Yeah. Okay. Thirteen says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. And verse 18 says, She, which is wisdom here, is a tree of life to them that take hold of her, and happy is everyone that retaineth them. Yes. So, this is a tree of life. Now, you're, you, you, if I remember right, Ken, at some, on another call, I think that you, uh, mentioned this tree of life being wisdom herself? Is that what it was? or? Uh, well, actually, wisdom comes from root. Well, in, in Proverbs, wisdom comes from God in the form of his word. 
in a lot of cases, and I think that's a theme throughout Proverbs as well, when you look at it. Is that what you're looking for? And who is, and yeah, who is the Word? Well, Jesus Christ is the Word uh, in the literal, in the, in, in the symbolic sense in the New Testament. Right. So, the Word, if you're seeking for wisdom, you should be seeking after Jesus. Exactly. Yes. We see, the thing is, in the in the Greek world and the Roman world at the time of the Bible, and even today if we consider the basic Gentile secular world, wisdom had to do in their mind with intelligence, academic achievement, knowledge in some sense like that. Scientific knowledge. Scientific knowledge, moral, you know, uh, their understanding of, the, of, uh, of uh, society and the gods and so forth. Wisdom to the Hebrews was always something much more practical, as illustrated in the book of Proverbs from which you read, that it was about knowing what God said to do and how God said life should be lived. That was considered wisdom, not the intellectual uh, flights of fancy of uh, different Greek philosophers or the Roman or uh, rhetoricians or, or orators, but it was practical knowledge about how to live. And that, in, that then is shown to us in person by Jesus Christ, much less in the words of Solomon and the words of the prophets. So the two concepts of wisdom, of the Jewish concept and the Gentile or secular concept, are very different from each other. And we see this played out all around us today in, in our society even still. People who are dedicated as New Testament Christians have a different standard by which they're judging things, a different kind of wisdom by which they're living their life than people who are living by the secular atheistic view of humanism that's common in our society. And the two worlds just don't collide, just don't intersect all that often in agreement because there's two different standards of what's a wise man or a foolish man. What makes someone worthwhile and one not worthwhile? Because one involves intellectual pursuits uh, and the other one involves moral pursuits. And that's, uh, that's a pretty basic way to express it. may not even be totally inclusive, but that's kind of what, the way I would say it. And so therefore, these th- and, and the truth is, on both counts, the Jews rejected Christ because he didn't fit their idea of what they wanted for a Messiah. He didn't suit them at all. They were seeking a sign. He was giving them a sign. It was himself. And even the miracles he did were signs. But they didn't want what he had to offer. And then the, the Jews, the Gentiles rejected Christ because he wasn't a, a member of the elite, the intelligentsia, the ruling class a philosopher or a king or something like that. They rejected him for that reason, much less because of the teaching of the resurrection. Yeah, their, world, the idea their that worldly a, knowledge denied the resurrection. Right, but that's right. So um, they, they ended up almost rejecting him for the same reason. He didn't fit their view of what they wanted to, to save them and what they thought a Messiah would be or, a, or a, someone they should follow. One involved a sign, one involved wisdom, and he said both of those things are going to be brought to nothing by God's power. And you can read, obviously you did read some of the other parts of 1 Corinthians there. Um, and that's the way it is today. Uh, when you 
speak to people about the gospel, you're going to find out pretty quickly it separates itself out in this way. Now, that would be my approach to the verses. Uh, I'll have, I'm going to have to look into the, to the mathematical part of it. And maybe they, and I, I think that there is a reason why 153 is mentioned. Maybe that's what it was. Now, whether it fits our modern mathematical understandings or not, I don't know about that. Because, uh, but would it, would it have made an appeal to the people of that age when he used this equation and so forth? Especially with the sign of the of the fish, I, I don't believe this sign of ichthus, the fish sign, came into common usage until the two hundreds. I could be wrong about that. At least historically, it's a much later thing. There's no mention of this sign of the fish in the Bible at all that I know of in the New Testament at all. I always understood that it was a play on the Greek word for fish, which is ichthus, and. Um, I, the J, Jesus, well, the, only, the C-H, Christos. The only, re- the only reconciliation I could make was when Jesus called them to be fishers of men. Yeah, but that's a real That's an appeal to reference. evangelism. Yes, yeah. but that, that's not really how this came to be, I don't think. Ichthus, I, and it translated, re, re, trans, oh, good thing I have to, don't have to talk for a living, is it, Gary? Um, <laughs> Ichthus, I-C-H-T-H-U-S, I-Yesu, C-H-Christu, Christos, T-H-Theos, God, and V-O-S, U-V or V-U-S or V-S in English, Son. And that's how it came, that's how I believe the most reasonable explanation of why we use the fish comes from that word, and yet fish were an integral part of Jesus' ministry and the apostles' life. You just referred to that. Plus this sign on the water of the fish. And the feeding of the five thousands with the fishes and the loaves. And and um, I guess the big point I would make, and maybe Ken is... Uh, have you made the main point you want to make, Ken? Uh, I don't think I've let you get there yet. I've got one more verse to talk about. But let me talk about which... which what we've talked about before, and I've been forgotten. Okay, 153 miracles performed by Jesus. 153 miracles? Yeah. Recorded. Recorded? Yes. Yes. Uh, that was a question, but... Are you asking a question, or are you making a statement? No, no, I'm, I'm telling a fact. A fact? Wow, that's a lot more than I thought. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the, the number 153 is the number is 1 through 17 added together. 1 through 17 added together. That's a progression. Yeah. Okay. Now, okay. yeah, the scripture, let separate us from the love of God. It lists 17 things. That can't separate us from the love of God. If you add those 17 things up, you get 153. Israel faced 17 enemies that they had to overcome to get into the promised land. So this number represents a completion of your ministry or a completion of what God has called you to do. 
So it's a combination of seven and ten. Is that the would, would be the gematric? Yes, it is. Inter- yes. Interpretation seven of completeness, ten as being kind of a religious number or fullness. Okay. Yes. Hmm. No, I got one. You, you, you understand my? I don't know, Ken. We, I don't know if it, if we ever talked about this on the air here. My skepticism of gematria, um, but um, I'd have to think about this one. Gematria, for those, is the study of religious symbols and numbers, or numbers. Um, mm, that may be a bad way to put it. That all these things in the Bible all all add up in a numerical way, and so forth. I believe there are numerical symbols in the Bible that are very important. But I don't believe. Every, particularly the more obscure. I'm not sure that everything is a number that adds up um, to to mean something. So I'm I'm a little skeptical, but I'm willing to I'm willing to certainly listen and consider. That's for sure. Well, the only caution I would have about 153 miracles is they I, I don't know where I'm going to get those miracles. Well, basically they would have to be recorded because John says that there were many more. That there were so many they they would fill all the books in the world. Right. So they would have to Signs. be the recorded miracles, and then we would have to make some judgment as to what is a miracle and what is not. Well, Ken, where are they, where are they coming up with this 153 miracles that are recorded? What's the basis of that? Uh, it's a, a book I have on Numbers of Scripture. Uh, let me tell you who the author is. You have the title? No, numbers in Scripture, That's what. that's the name of the book? Yeah, and the guy's name is, hold on a second, uh, E.W. Bollinger. Oh, oh, Bollinger, yeah, I'm familiar with Bollinger. He has famous books on interpreting Bible symbols. He's an old guy. Well. Yeah, and I was directly from his book. Okay, well, I'll have to... That that gives it a little more credence in my in my view, although I don't know if I agree with everything he says. But he is certainly considered to be an authority on Bible typology and symbolism in the uh, I'm going to say late 1800s, early 1900s. I think that's his time frame. Yeah, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Let me see if I can find what page it's on here. There we go. Maybe this is because I was only a slightly above average math student that I reject this, or not reject it, but I'm skeptical of it. But okay. Go, what um, page is it on? Uh, 276. All right. I'm going to look this up. We've got the list of, uh, let me see. You know, Ken, here's the, here's the thing about some of this. Now, this is not... Uh, it doesn't call miracles. It's called the direct blessings from Christ. Direct what? Blessings. Blessings from Christ. Yes. Okay. Blessings. And um, here's some here with, with the scripture references. All right. I'll take a look at it. You know, a lot of these things... Just, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah. 
so some of these some of these things are mentioned in two different places in the Bible, so we didn't count them twice. That's what I was wondering. Yes. Yeah, so that's how we came up with the 153. So we didn't double count them. Okay. Well, you know, part of the now this is a gene, generic comment. It isn't specific in, ref, in reference to what you're saying. But my problem sometimes with numbers and counting things is that it depends on who counts them and what criteria they're using for counting. And I found that if they, if you, you know, uh, you need seven points, you can make seven points. Does that mean there are seven points in the text or there are only six or five? You know, sometimes you get into this problem and I, I think it's, it's a, not just a, it's not an imaginary problem. I think sometimes we really try really hard to get all that in, in stuff. And uh, it doesn't always work. The Bible's not as cut and dry as that. That there's always seven of this and seven of that or three of this. It's, sometimes it is, but other times it's, well, it's what it is. Especially when you're dealing with symbolic interpretation. And it, it depends on who's deciding whether that's part of things or not. Yes. Are there six woes in Matthew 23 or are there seven woes? You know, well, who's counting them? What are your criteria for that? Yes. You know, that's and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Now, that's not necessarily a criticism of what you're saying, Ken, but that's what it is. Well, fi- finish your p- point here because I want to get on. I've got a comment about another subject. I need to change subjects on you, Ken. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, John 18, 37 and 38, and you talked about. Uh, a little bit about the wisdom of the Lord and stuff. And I want to, I want to make a comment on this verse because it relates to what happened in the last two days. What was the scriptural uh, reference, Ken? John 18, 37 and 38. When a pilot was questioning Jesus. Yeah, okay. Okay, verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus saith, If thou sayest that I am a king, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should be a witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went, Again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find no fault at all in him at all. Okay, so um, my comment is uh, the Passover lamb had to be without blemish, and it was inspected. And here Jesus is getting inspected by Pilate, and he finds no fault in him. That's the first part. The other thing is, why did Pilate say, what is truth? It's because he was mocking the the, uh, intellectual elite here of having all different kinds of philosophies and none of them agreeing. Yeah, Pilate was much more of a practical calculating man and truth was something that was only to be used for whatever advantage it gave you. I think that's the impression I have of Pilate. 
Yes. Well, no, I want to I want to point out something that happened this week that's similar to this. Uh, the FBI is going to release Michael Flynn and Peter Strzok prevented it. So, Tyler tried to release this and the people prevented it. Yes, uh, uh, he prevented it because it didn't suit their focus, right? Their, right. their, their feeling of, of how things ought to be. Yeah, I, I would be reluctant to say the people stopped him in that I think it's more the ruling Jews stopped him in that they manipulated people, some, some people to do that. Right. But, uh, right. In, in effect, one faction stopped it. Yeah. That's right. Well, Ken, uh, I appreciate your call. There's a lot in here to chew on. Maybe I can get thinking about this a little bit later on. I need to uh, move on to another text we got to answer a question. Gary's got one more comment, one and then, more I'll let comment. You, then I'll give you the last word, Ken, then we're going to have to move on. i got on. one more comment. I think the real focus of these two scriptures is Jesus' answer. He said, he, he says, you say rightly that I am a king, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I came into the world. Certainly he was a king. That I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And I would go back to what he said in John 17 and verse 17. It says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He came to bear witness of God's word. And that was truth. And that was what sanctifies us. That's what sets us apart to God. And I think that's the real message that we need to get out of that passage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. And and because Pilate says what is truth, meaning kind of a no one can know anything. Jesus says, well, you can know me and I'm the truth. And I'm the truth or I am God's truth. And that's the fundamental basis of a Christian worldview. Right there, yes. that verse is why I have a Christian worldview, or try to have one, where I filter everything through the through the eyes of Jesus Christ, as best I can tell, rather than the eyes of Greek and uh, intellectuals or worldly intellectuals, to understand what should be done or how I should be, because Jesus Christ is truth. Well, Ken, uh, you have one last comment, then we're going to have to move on. Okay, one last comment. All right. The Hebrew phrase, Beni Ha-Elohim, which means sons of God, uh, if you add up the Hebrew letters, each Hebrew letter has a number represented, and they're not, they're not changed, they're not changed. They're always the same. That phrase, you add up the letters, it comes out to 153. And that's what the fish represents. No. What is the phrase again, exactly? Sons of God. Sons of God, okay. Is 153 letters? And 153. That's a coincidence. Yeah. It's 153 letters. Are numbers assigned to the letters add up to 153? The numbers assigned to the letters. Okay, that, that gets a little more obscure. 
Well, you're going to make me rethink my opinion of Bullinger. <laughs> Do you have his book? I, I, somewhere I got one of his books. I've read them when I was in college taking, uh, you know, interpretation courses, things like that. Yeah. Well, if you want, you can borrow mine. Okay. I'll have to get a hold of you and see if I can get, get that. It's probably one of those things I can get free on the Internet now. Uh, I think a digital it's, I copy think it's, anyway. I think it's that old. Yes, I think it's that old, a digital copy, but that would be okay. Well, Ken, I appreciate your calling, and I need to, we need to uh, go, uh, go to another subject this morning, but I thank you for calling in and giving us something to chew on and think about today. Thank you. Oh, okay. Gary, I, I don't know if you saw this or not. We had a text from Georgia. Okay. A few minutes ago. Hello, okay. listening from Georgia. Please explain on this Mother's Day, 1 Timothy 2.15, how women are saved through childbearing. Boy, they're just trying to drag us into the mud, aren't they? Oh, this, this okay, is... Okay, so let's go over. Uh, we really, really appreciate you listening from Georgia, and we really appreciate you taking the time to text in a question or a comment. But if you will take a look, let's read 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 8. Uh, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with the braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but with but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and do not I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but it to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Okay. Yes, this... Um this last verse is the one we can spend a long time talking about the other verse, which we will, if that's where we take, it goes. But the, the point of the phrase, nevertheless, you will be saved in childbearing if you continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. I believe that... Don't, don't forget that. If they continue, if that's they continue. a big if. Right. I, I think that the relationship of that verse to Mother's Day, to some is, Gary, that, that um, well, there's this kind of... a. And maybe it's just kind of understood recently, it may have always been there, that when you honor mothers on Mother's Day, you're somehow disrespecting those who are not mothers or those who are uh, are childless, not by their own choice or otherwise, or those who are childless by choice, those who are single. You're, you are somehow disrespecting those who have lost children Maybe they had a child that was stillborn, and so uh, you're not honoring them if you honor mothers who are there. Uh, I, I don't buy into that, although I see how it could be taken that way. I don't have a problem uh, honoring people on a certain day. I, I don't get jealous if they have a day honoring policemen, even though I'm not a policeman, or veterans, even though I'm not a veteran. That's not a slight to me, particularly. I suppose on some circumstances it could be used that way. But the point is, though, I don't think this verse teaches 
that unless a woman has a child, physically bears a child in her body, that somehow she can't be saved. I don't think that's Paul's point at all, and I'll explain why uh, in just a moment. But I, I know that perhaps there are some who have said that, used that. I know that in the ancient world, and we see this with uh, Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel, all these women who at times were barren, didn't have any children, that it was considered a stigma to them, almost a curse. I think the Bible uses it that way upon them because their womb was shut. <coughs> Pardon me. So, some have taken that to mean <coughs> that, that unless a woman bears a child physically, that she isn't really a woman. Well, and, I, and the Bible doesn't treat these women that way at all. But that's a, that's we've got to answer that question. I think. Well, what I'm what I'm thinking is, Mike, this we we don't often realize that in those days, basically your children were responsible for you later in life, and without that characteristic, you could be in deep trouble. Well, that's one. That's the practical aspect of that's it. That's a practical yes. aspect of it. Uh, but the other thing, I'd like to make a comment about the jealousy involved in it, and Philippians 2 and verse 3 and 4 uh, kind of shed some light on that. I think, I think the problem is one of emphasis. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. This, uh, this idea of jealousy uh, in terms of those things that, you know, well, I need my day too. Is 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 also outside of the Christian scope of of what I consider the characteristics of a Christian, right? Well, so, so I'm just going to put that in for the the question. Then becomes, what does this verse mean when he says a woman will be saved through childbearing? And when you look at it, it's the idea of what it means to be a woman, this word is, if, if I, now I'm going to use a big word here for you, uh, for some of you, it's a metonymy, where a part of something is used to stand for the whole of something. We speak of Washington does such and such. Washington restricts people assembling for church. Well, Washington, D.C. as a city didn't do anything. Certainly George Washington didn't do any such thing. We are using the word Washington to stand for what? The federal government or the government of the United States. Used in other contexts and news stories around the world. Washington, just like if I say Beijing or Paris, I'm using it sometimes as a metonymy for all of France or all of China. Or at least their governments. Are the powers that The be power here. that they have. It's used as, the one word is used, and the one part of something like Paris, and regard to France, is used as a metonymy for the whole thing. And so when, he, and talking about the roles of men and women here, and it's pretty clear that he's distinguishing in the church and in life the roles of men and women in these verses. They are extremely controversial today. Haven't always been, but today they're extremely controversial. And we can, you know, I can tell you what I think they mean and go through the whole thing. It might be a long lecture, but I'd be glad to do that. But I, I think when you get right down to it, there's no use in uh, running away from that. Paul is saying here, through the Holy Spirit, that men and women are different, 
They have different roles in society, and they even had they even had different roles in the initial fall of man into sin. Adam had his sin, which Romans delineates and blames him for the fall. And here Eve is mentioned as, as into her role in the fall. And their two sins, although they both sinned in Genesis chapter three, were different, and the consequences of the sin for each were different from each other because of their gender. And because of the nature of their genders. See, the idea that male and female are the same or equal to each other in some physiological sense is uh, is the problem here. We've been told this for so long, I'm trying to pull out something. Oh, here you go. It's the first one on my stack of stuff here, Gary, that I just happen to pull out. Science finds... 1,500, 1,500 genetic differences between boys and girls. That's the title of this news article. So to say that men and boys and girls are the same or equal, you got to define what equal means. Are they equal before the law? They should be. Are they equal as far as how we treat them? Yes. Should each be Yes. But are they equal? equal in that they are identical or the same as male and female? And the answer is, they are not. Not only sociologically, but scientifically, they are different from each other. And that's what Paul is recognizing fundamentally, this difference. But the one thing that will distinguish men from women is the aspect of childbearing. Even if the woman has not born a child, she has the capability of childbearing in the generic physiological sense, and certainly in uh, the other sense, uh, other sense of her being made into a woman as opposed to a man. Now, I don't care what the transgender activists tell you, men can't bear children. And I know this from what the Bible says about it, plus from science. Plus so when Paul says... a little bit of wisdom that goes with that. Right. But when Paul talks about the fact here that there's differences between the men and women and their roles and what they ought to do, and who has authority in certain aspects of life doesn't mean one person's better than another. The only way you would think that a person in authority is better or more significant than a person out of authority is if you already bought into the assumption that having power makes you better than somebody else. I don't believe that. I know too many powerful people to believe that. That power makes you better. I know that it doesn't make you better. But if you buy into the assumption that power makes you better or being the leader uh, for example, me, I, I'm quote-unquote one of the leaders of this church, and I'm up front all the time, and I'm talking, people see my face. If I begin to think or put forth the idea, or if you believe that that makes me better than the people sitting in the pew, we're you're all, we're altogether wrong in assuming that from the Bible standpoint. Aren't we, Gary? Well, altogether I, incorrect. Incorrect, and, I, and I'd like to say one of the aspects of that is when you start seeing special dress for that person. Yeah, they're beginning to elevate themselves and make themselves better. Well, the Bible says, yes, I have authority as an elder in this church, but it doesn't make me better than anybody else or more significant, particularly in God's eyes. It means I have a role to play, and God designed me for a role to play, and I should play that role and live within that role. Just as the angels in Jude 6 who left their proper habitation and their estate were condemned, those who in human humankind who leave their created nature to be something different are are in trouble ontologically much less every other way but he says here the woman will be saved not by trying to be a man she will not be saved 
by trying to take the authority from a man. She will be saved by childbearing or in childbearing if she continues in faith and love and holiness with well, self-control. Well, I'd like to put that in perspective because I think he's, he's making childbearing secondary. The childbearing is, is, a, is not well, that's, a... That's, 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 a, that's saying as a woman... Well, She's still it, going to be saved as a woman by doing these things. That's how a woman's no, going but, to be saved. but that childbearing is, is without value if she does not continue exactly. in faith, right. love, and holiness and self-control. Yes. Those are the most important things, not the childbearing. No, but the childbearing stands for her being a woman. That's what it stands for. And that's the idea that if, if uh, she's, going to be sa- she's going to be saved by being a woman. That's what he's saying. A man's going to be saved by doing what God requires men to do well. A woman's going to be saved by doing what God requires and what he made women to do well. The most prominent of those that stands for all the rest, like Paris for France, is childbearing. It doesn't mean every woman has to bear a child or else she can't be saved. Now, I don't know if that's what our texture was getting at or not. Well, I still think uh, it's secondary to faith, love, holiness, and self-control. It's secondary to that. Those things are first. Now, those are things required of us all, whether we're men or women. Well, yes, but and, but, and, but but they're going to be expressed differently as men and women. Okay, that's the point here. The expression of the expression of a person's faith, love, and holiness, and self control will come out differently and require different things of a woman than of a man. Just like it requires different things of a master as opposed to a servant. And we see this in specific commands. Yes. Uh, that a master is he has to be humble, but that humility is going to look different than humility of a servant. And so, so it is true of men and women. So I think this passage is just simply saying that men and women are different. They were created for different roles in life. Each role is significant and important. No one is... Not one role. And the Bible doesn't teach that one of these roles of male or female is more important or better than the other. We could go to some other passages to show that. Well, well, let's just go to uh, a couple of those if you would, if you want to. Let me see if I can pull this up here. Uh, uh, well, basically even verse chapter 3 of that same passage goes into now requirements for men in some respects and what and their role to play so there is a contrast yes. between the role of women and the role of men basically in these two chapters of, of first timothy but all have to be, all have to continue in faith love holiness and self-control or none of that is of any benefit we all have to follow the word of god and do what he has to say Regardless of what our position is, whether it's a slave or a master, whether it's a rich man or a poor man, whether we are a Jew or a Greek, all of us have to conform to that faith, love, holiness, and self-control. Right. There's no distinction in that. And I think that's part of the thing that's showing up here in both of these passages. In uh, 1 Corinthians 11, Gary, here's, how, here's what I'm going to say. Here's why I'm saying that we've got three minutes left, so we need to wrap this yeah, up. We're but have to here, here's why I'm saying that there is no difference between men and women as far as the Lord is concerned with regard to who's more important, even though they have different roles. He, 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, after this discussion about a head covering, nevertheless, in spite of the fact that he is making different requirements of men and women with respect to authority, Paul says, nevertheless, in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 11, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of the man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, that's the initial creation, even so man also comes through woman. That's the birth of every other man. But all things are from God. So he's saying God is in control of all these things. There is uh, uh, the women in general as a gender were created from the side of a man. But every man that's ever been born comes literally through what? Through a woman. Through a woman. So which one is more important? Well, neither one are. That's his point. That's why he says, nevertheless, in the Lord. Well, I, I so that, that, that's why he, I'm, not, I'm saying the childbearing yeah. isn't a matter of who's better or who's worse or whether you have to have a baby or not. He's talking about something completely different than that. I, I think he's going back to Galatians three twenty six. For you are all <clears throat> sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. Right. And I I don't, you know, our time is short, but I I don't think this is, I'm not trying to dodge the issue about the differences in general. I'd be glad to have a whole show on this. And if you want to go on our website, wearejustchristians.com, take a look at the, there's some sermons last year on the roles in the family and authority in the family. You can read, you can listen to what I've had to say about that and Gary also, about those things. So we're not trying to dodge that issue. But in this case, he's certainly not saying that you have to have bare physical children to be saved. He's using childbearing as a metonymy for womanhood. And women are going to be saved by being women according to God's will and what God requires of them either generically or specifically in this case. And we Hope that all, answers the question of the person who texted in. You can text back and let us know about that. We'd be glad and, to hear and from we you. we are all saved by obeying what Jesus says to do. Right. Well, thank you for listening today. We really appreciate it. And we are glad that you tuned in. If you'd like to know more about the church here, go to wearejustchristians.com. We'd be glad to have your comments about that and hope you tune in again next week. Thank you very much, and may God bless you. Fulfill my cup, let it overflow. Fulfill my cup, let it overflow. Fulfill my cup.